Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. I hope that if nothing else, this encourages you to go back and familiarize yourself with the Old Testament, because I guarantee you, there's so much more for us. If we familiarize ourselves with these people and their lives and their stories, it's not just names. It's not begot, begot, begot. Hey, listen, it's the life story of people loved by God, chosen by God, and radically used by God. Unlike any other person in human history, Jesus could choose his relatives. His genealogy reveals that he truly was a king, but also it tells us with whom he identifies, showing he is truly both man and God. Let's listen in as Pastor Sam completes The King is Coming in Matthew chapter 1. Unto us a child is born, and this is Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen to this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. And so what he's telling us is that this Messiah, this Savior, this Redeemer... He will be a king. And and I want to just give you a few of the references in Scripture. If you're a note taker, you can jot these down. We're not going to go to them or actually spend any time going through them. I just want you to hear them. In Psalm 45, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And in Psalm 22, there's a question. Who is this king of glory? The answer, the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, calls Jesus the king of the Jews. We also find a question in Matthew twenty-seven, eleven: Are you the king of the Jews? And then we find nailed to his cross, Jesus, the king of the Jews. Isaiah 44, 6 calls Jesus the king of Israel. That's repeated for us in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 49. Psalm 47, 7 calls Jesus the king of the whole earth. And I want you to see this progression. See, first he's just this mighty king, the king of glory. And then there's this revelation. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of the earth. In Isaiah 43, 15, it gets even better because he's there called your king. And it's wonderful to know that Jesus is the king, that he is the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, that he's the king of all the earth. But the question becomes, are you submitted to him? Do you recognize him? Have you bowed the knee to him? He is then your king. Matthew 21, 5 and John 12, 15 bear that out as well. Psalm 74, 12 becomes even more personal because he calls God our Lord, our Savior Jesus, my King. So your King, that's one thing. My King, well, that's another thing. Isaiah 33, 22 calls him our King. Our King. Revelation 15 says he is the King of all the saints. Zechariah 9, 9 reveals him as the lowly or the humble 
coming king. Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and humble, riding on the foal of an ass. Zechariah 9, 9. 1 Timothy 6, 15 reveals him as the king of kings. There's an interesting contrast. One, the lowly coming king. The other, the king of kings, Lord of lords, the one who will rule and reign forever and ever. How can he be both? He came the first time as a suffering servant. He comes the second time as a ruling sovereign. Jeremiah 10.10, and this is the last one I have for you. He is called the everlasting king, the true and living God. So when we read the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, we are reading about the Messiah who would be in the line of David, who would inherit the promises to David and fulfill the prophecies given concerning the son of David, the Messiah, the king. He's also called the son of Abraham. And if you're familiar with Abraham's story, and I know many of you are, perhaps some of you aren't, In Genesis 12, God appears to Abraham, and you need to know, before God gets a hold of Abraham, he was just like anyone else. God didn't look around and say, man, there's a super saint. I think I'll do something with him and in him and through him. Abraham was just like anyone else. And that's really true for each and every one of us. If God's done wonderful things through your life, you need to remember that if God weren't working in and through you, you'd be just like anyone else. Even those people that you look at and think, man, what a mess their lives are. And look how they messed them up. It's important to see. It's essential we see that it was the grace of God that that caused him to call Abraham, that caused him to call David, that caused him to call you and caused him to call me. Well, Abraham, we know, is the father of the faithful. And when God appears to Abraham, he says, listen, I'm going to do some things for you and in you and through you. And it was all an unconditional covenant. He says, I will make you a great name. And certainly Abraham has that today. Three of the major world religions trace themselves back to Abraham. But he says, I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to make of you a great nation. That nation becomes exceedingly important to our story as it continues. And then he says, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. But all of that isn't the most important thing that God has to say to Abraham. He says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you. And he's really talking about in his seed, through his descendants. How is all the world blessed because Abraham was faithful? No. If you read the story carefully, you'll find that after God promises Abraham a son, at about age 75, Abraham waits a decade. You ever had a promise from God and you're sure that it's for you and you're like, I know God's going to do this. And then a year goes by and two and five and ten and you're like, well... Let's see. I wonder, maybe he wants me to do something. And that's what Abraham began to think. Maybe he didn't mean it literally. Maybe it's not going to be me and Sarah. Maybe I need to take this whole matter into my own hands. And I would encourage you to read that story carefully. Begin at Genesis 12, read through 15, keep going through the the next few chapters. And what you see is that Abraham begins as this man of great faith. He believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. And then after a while, that faith falters. And instead of waiting on the Lord, he takes things into his own hands. Well, about 
24 years after the original initial promise. God appears to Abraham and says, guess what? And Abraham's like, hey, let Ishmael live before you. And he goes, no, I've got great news. You're going to have a kid. And he's, he's like, yeah, right. And he says, not just that, you and Sarah. And, and when Abraham hears it, he laughs. And when Sarah hears it, she laughs. You know what they call the kid? Laughter. That, that's what Isaac means. He said, I want you every time you call his name. I want you not for guilt's sake, but, but for the amazement of a miraculous birth. I want you to call him laughter. I want you to remember how you, you, you laughed because it seemed so incredible. And then you laughed for joy because it came to pass. At a hundred years old, and I don't know, you know, hundred-year-old guy having a kid, maybe doesn't seem that weird, but 90-year-old wife, see, that seems like you're kind of getting up there. I'm not saying 90's old for gals. I'm just saying for childbearing, perhaps. I'll never forget, not that long ago, we were with our pastor, Chuck Smith, and his wife, Kay, and they have, her son had become a grandfather. And she said, you know, it's not that weird being a great grandmother, but it feels very weird to be the mom of a grandfather. And uh, it's all the same thing, but it feels different, she said. And so, so in any case, 90-year-old gal, 100-year-old guy, they have a kid. They name him Isaac. And I want you to see something here. The son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begot Isaac. Now, it doesn't sound that exciting when you read it in Matthew. But when you read it back in Genesis, it's incredibly exciting. Why? Because it was the fulfillment of a promise of God. In your son Isaac, all these things will come to pass. I will bless those who bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, Isaac was going to be the one. And he was born miraculously. It's sort of a picture of coming attractions, greater and more wonderful attractions. But you got to see it. Abraham's faith first, then his failure, and then in chapter 21, the fulfillment. Why? Because God is faithful even when we're faithless. God is faithful even when we falter. And we've got to know that. Not, not so that we can say, well, maybe it won't matter what I do. No, it matters. Why? Sin always has consequence. And I tell you, as a professional, not, not pastor, sinner, as a professional sinner, because I have mastered it over the years, it, sin always causes pain and suffering. Not just in my life personally, but in the lives of those I care the most about, those people most closely connected to me, my sin has greatly hurt other people. And listen, I share that with you only to make this point. Your sin does the same thing. And the bottom line is, Abraham suffered and others have suffered because of his unbelief. Nevertheless, God calls him the father of the faithful and the father of those who walk by faith. So Abraham begot Isaac, the child of promise, the miraculous birth, and then Isaac begat Jacob. Now, this becomes important, and that's there. Isaac begat Jacob. There's not much of a story there. It's just sort of, hey, that's what happens next. But it's important to note that it was prophesied in the book of Numbers and in other places, but Numbers 24, 17 specifically, and I guess I should read that one to you because since this becomes so important as we trace through Numbers 24:17 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. 
A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy the sons of Tumult. Now, there are many other prophecies that tie Jesus to Jacob, but but Jacob becomes a fascinating study for us for a variety of reasons, not the least of them being he was a man that really didn't trust God. I mean, Abraham trusted him, but had a faltering of his faith. Isaac well, he had some real miraculous experiences with God as well. But but Isaac produces th- this son, Jacob, who totally tries to take by force that which God would give him by grace. And his life story becomes an object lesson to us to just trust in the Lord, to rest in the Lord, to not try to make it happen, just let it happen. There are times God says, move, and we must. And there's times God says, wait, and we must. But he's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's the child and descendant of Isaac. He's the descendant of Jacob, who, by the way, by the way, becomes Israel. God changes his name. He is the father of the 12 tribes. Jacob begot Judah. Now, if you read through Genesis, the focus is on four men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But when you get to the New Testament, it's, it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. Why? You see, back in Genesis, 11 chapters dedicated to the life of Joseph. He, perhaps more than anyone else in Scripture, is like Jesus. And, and there are over a 100 ways. I encourage you to go back, read his story, and just look for ways that his life parallels the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus. There are at least a 100 clear ones. But when we get to the New Testament, he doesn't hear even mention in the genealogy, Joseph, why? Because it was through Judah that the Messiah would come. Jesus is called, and many of you are familiar, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So the genealogies become significant to us because they are part of the proof. They're a part of those eight, and there are, hey, there are dozens more. We'll consider some next time, of course. Those prophecies that prove that Jesus, beyond any statistical probability that, that this could happen by chance or, hey, he fulfilled each and every one of these. Now, some have suggested that Jesus quite kind of made things happen to make it appear as if he were fulfilling prophecy. Here's some things that are absolutely beyond your control. You have no control over who your ancestors are. You have no way to say, well, let's see, I'll be a descendant of uh, David. I'll be a descendant of Abraham. I'll be a descendant of Isaac, of Jacob, of Judah. Unless, of course, you're God. Then you can say, well, I'll be a descendant of whoever I want. And you can, in fact, then pull that off. We did some, or tried to do some, study of our uh, ancestry at one point. My family's a little more confusing than Pam's. We actually got a Bible at one point that was traced well back, uh, you know, a couple hundred plus years for Pam. And, and it turns out that she has all kinds of, she had all kinds of amazing people in her ancestry and in her lineage. She has a, a president, Hayes. She's a descendant of him. She has a poet, Longfellow. She's a descendant of his, for real. She had a pastor, of all things, you know, we met a little hippie couple hanging out, you know, far from Christ. No idea that we would ever walk with him or serve him. But, but she had a pastor, a guy named William Brewster, who happened to come over on the Mayflower. Now, Pam had nothing to do with any of that. Just so happens that that's who she's descended from. 
I have a little bit more of a problem tracing my ancestry because my mom never really knew her dad and my dad never knew his dad. I'm sure there's someone out there that could do the legwork and find out. But but what I do know for sure is that my ancestors came from the deep south. And what that means, if you go back historically, is that probably not, you know, presidents and probably not poets and not preachers, most likely prisoners. Uh, why? It's true. They emptied out the prisons and they sent them to the deep south from, from uh, England and other places. And then they sent the rest to Australia. So if you're like, hey, I'm Australian, I'm really something. Hey, you're just like me, descendants of prisoners. But, but I had nothing to do with that either. It just happens to be that's the way it is. But you see, Jesus had a choice. He made the decision from the very beginning whose line he would be in and how that would work out. Well, that brings me to just our last couple of points. Four of the five women who were listed here in the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus, they're actually listed by the time you get down to verse 6. And I didn't read it all. I guess I should at least give you a little more. Judah begat Perez and Zerah by Tamar. She's the first of the four. She, by the way, she's kind of an interesting study because she was married to one of Judah's sons. And, and long before there was a law that said if a you know, gal has a husband and the husband dies, then the brother should raise up a seed to her, marry her, and produce offspring. Long before that was codified in the Mosaic um, <coughs> law, and we just studied the book of Ruth and saw the importance of it, it was already a principle. I mean, God was already dealing that way. And so what happens is that that uh, it, it doesn't work out. Judah doesn't want to give his son to her. And and, and, and so uh, he, he actually has this young son and he says, well, just hang out. And when he's old enough, I'll give him. But he, he never does. And so she goes and hearing he's coming through town, she she covers herself and, and puts on the garments of a prostitute and and then makes this deal with him. And it's it's its own fascinating and bizarre and kind of horrible study. But it's there in Scripture. There's no approving it or applauding. It it's just happens to be in Jesus' genealogy. So this gal, because she had been deceived and cheated, she gets her, her father-in-law to have sex with her, produces an offspring. He finds out she's pregnant, by the way, and he's like, have her stoned, have her killed. And she's like, hey, well, whoever you know owns this stuff that she had taken in trust, whoever stuff this is, he's the dad. And, and he realizes, oh, she's more righteous than I. And, and, and so I bring that up only to say, maybe you're not a blue blood. Maybe you're, you don't trace back to presidents and, and you know, poets and, and preachers. Maybe you, like me, come from a long line of car salesmen and, and other nefarious occupations. But, but, but the bottom line is, he picks the very first woman mentioned. And it's odd that women would be mentioned in a genealogy of that day. He picks Tamar. And then the next woman that comes up in the story is down in verse 5. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Some of you will remember her. She's there in the book of Joshua. She was a prostitute for real. She didn't pretend to be one. She was one. She was there living in Jericho and she was spared. And then it turns out that Boaz um, is the son of Solomon and Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. We just studied her story. She was a Moabitess, a part of a cursed generation. And then Jesse begot David, verse 6, the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. He doesn't even mention Bathsheba's name. But, but again, it was an adulterous relationship. Now, why do I even bring that up? 
I bring it up to say that Jesus could have chosen and did in fact choose who he would be a descendant of. And he chose not to be a descendant of just the high and mighty and the, the wonderful and the, well, there weren't any perfect. Not many noble, not many mighty, not many wise are called. Not necessarily in that order. First Corinthians chapter one. Not many wise or mighty or noble are called. Thank God he doesn't say not any. And it may be that you are noble and wise and mighty and you've come to Christ, then you should really thank him for that. But for most of us, we know that's not us, and we didn't come from that. But, but Jesus chose to identify with those who he came to save. And you need to know that he came to save lost sinners. And when we recognize our sinful state, hey, he's in a position to change all of that. Well, that brings us to one last uh, mentioned, skip ahead with me down there to verse 16, and we have to conclude with this. Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. The husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. We'll talk more about the reality of the virgin birth next time, but get this. Mary, the fifth woman in this genealogy mentioned, and Mary was pure. God had chosen somebody who was a virgin to, to bear his son miraculously. But you know, Mary had to bear the accusations of those who weren't going to buy the virgin birth story. And we'll talk more about that next time. And so here in the genealogy, and I, I, I hope that if nothing else, this encourages you to go back and familiarize yourself with the Old Testament because I guarantee you there's so much more for us. If we familiarize ourselves with these people and their lives and their stories, it's not just names. It's not begot, begot, begot. Hey, listen, it, it, it's the life story of people loved by God, chosen by God, and radically used by God. One last point, and we conclude with this for today. It's interesting to note that Jesus, while he comes from a line of rather notorious or nefarious sinners... And if you read the story, that's really, well, let's face it, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Even the best among us are sinners. But when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, a very religious, a very spiritual man, a Jew, by the way, a descendant of the tribes of Israel, he says, Nick, you must be born again. That's so important. Because some people hearing this will think, well, yeah, I know that sinners need to be forgiven and and especially bad sinners immoral sinners idolatrous sinners or you know evil lying sinners oh they need to be yeah but but here's the real deal all have sinned and come short of the glory of god and jesus could look at the heart of nicodemus that others would have said hey he's a righteous man and jesus says nick you must be born again that means the religious man the religious woman the righteous person outwardly is still a sinner inwardly and still needs to be forgiven those sins. The one who's more obvious in their sin, hey, they need forgiveness as well. And the Bible says it like this, some men's sins go before them, others follow after them. What he means by that is some sins are so obvious. You, know, you see a guy just stumbling drunk, you know, he's stammering and he's struggling to walk and, and, and you're like, man, this guy needs help. But you see someone else all dressed up and proper and driving a nice car and, and they seem so together. They need help too. 
And Jesus is our only Messiah, our only Savior. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So today, today that brings us to the cross. Jesus was born to die. It was the mission for which he came. And, and I, I was thinking about, you know, these 400 years of silence between the close of the Old Testament and this declaration that this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about the 30 years of preparation for a three-year ministry, the ministry of our Lord and Savior as he walked this planet. And I was thinking how much God accomplished in such a short amount of time. Why? Because Jesus was absolutely committed to the Father and to his will. I do always those things that please him. Not my will, but yours be done. The lives of all these men and women in Jesus' genealogy, as well as the earthly life of Jesus himself, all leading inextricably to one single event, the cross. My prayer for you is that you will find the same, as the path you choose in life will lead you to the only place that matters, the cross at Calvary. Join us next time as we dive deeper into the book of Matthew. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.